Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen of Hamel Hempstead, boys and girls, adults. We come and we preach the Word of God once a week here in Hemel Hempstead. It's our great joy and privilege to be able to do so. And we are reminded in the Word of God that our days are not guaranteed to us. James says, what is your life? It is but a vapor. We're here for a little while and soon we're gone. I want to read some words from the Gospel of Matthew and, uh, and then again from the Epistle to the Romans. Matthew chapter 11. The Lord Jesus said these things. And at that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. And it has been my prayer that the Lord might reveal himself to sinners. Sinners in this world we are all. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Each and every one of us have sinned. Now my second reading is taken from the Epistle to the Romans, the early church at Rome, and chapter 5, verse 17. For if by one man's offence death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. And we read that by one man sin entered into the world and it is by another man that sinners are saved. The Bible tells us that our sin separates us from Almighty God. I trust that we don't need to spend much time to prove the fact that we're all sinners. What is sin? I suppose it's not a very uh, commonly used word today, sin. Maybe people use the word or use the phrase you've done wrong or you've committed an offence. All of these terms are synonymous. But what is the, the gauge, what is the standard by which we assess whether something is right or wrong? Well, we all have, I trust, a conscience and our conscience is affirmed by our guilt and our sense of guilt and things that we know that we have done wrong. For instance, we all know, and I trust it's very common to every society in this entire world, that it's wrong to lie. Countries of this world, if you go to court, and you tell a lie, it's a great offence, isn't it? Perjury, lies, 
bearing false witness, all of these things. And yet each and every one of us do this on a very regular basis. In fact, lies, they don't just come in ones and twos, but they come in great groups because people have to cover up lies by other lies and so on. Adultery, that is a very common thing today. Disobedience to parents. We will, of course, know that this is a very wrong thing to disobey one's parents. To murder. You can go through the list of all of the Ten Commandments. We know these things factually are wrong. Our society punishes for it, and rightly so. These offences, lies, unkindness, we know is wrong. It's not a uh, sin or a thing that we do wrong that is punishable, I suppose, by the law. But we know in our conscience it's very wrong to do these things. And so we're born as sinners. We're born as people who commit offence, not only against each other every day, but ultimately against God. Every sin is an affront to Almighty God. And every day, thus, we commit these things. And the Bible says that our sins make a separation between us and God. And therefore we have, when we look at our whole lives, we've amassed a vast amount of guilt, a guilty record before a holy God. Now, it tells us here that by one man, by that is Adam, sin came into the world and sin has passed to all men. We are alike in all that way. I see many people walking up and down the high street here. We're of different heights, sizes, perhaps ages, uh, different sex, either male or female. And yet we have this one thing in common. It permeates each and every one of us. We are sinners, born in sin. The Bible says we were shaken in our mother's womb in sin and iniquity. And so this is the vast problem of mankind, that sin has separated himself from Almighty God. And this is the bad news. Sin has spread to all men. We are reminded in the Scriptures that nothing clean can come out of that which is unclean. Man is unclean. Some religions teach that if you eat certain things, it, you'll be clean. The Lord Jesus said, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but it's what comes out of his heart. The heart is full of corruption, it's full of sin. The Bible teaches us so plainly and clearly. And we, we don't need anybody to tell us that. I've not come out here to moralize anybody here in Hemel Hempstead at all. I come as a sinner and a guilty sinner, I know, before Almighty God. But I want to preach about this other man here which Paul speaks about. Paul tells us here that by one man sin entered into the world and has spread to all men. But another man came into this world. In fact, he was from another realm. But he 
came in time, in space, in history, from another realm. Jesus said, I am from above. He had a pre-existence before coming into this world. He is called, in the Bible, the Ancient of Days. In fact, we are told that all things were made by him and for him. He, in fact, is the very creator God. God is spirit. And God said in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, let us make man in our image. So they're plural. Let us make man in our image. And then we read, so God made man in his own image. Then down to the singular. So this one God is in three persons. We speak of the Trinity. God said, let us make man. And then we read, and so God made man. And this very one, the Apostle John speaks of. And he says, as he begins his gospel, the very one who leaned his head upon the bosom of the Lord Jesus. He said in the beginning, was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh. Yes, my friends, the eternal word of God, who is God, very God who said, let there be light. We told in the Bible in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form, without any substance. God spoke everything into existence. Out of nothing, he created all things. You know, again, I say, and I say very often, the scientist has a huge problem because the laws of science tell you that matter can neither be created or destroyed. A solid can become a liquid and a gas, but you can't get rid of it. And so, therefore, where did it come from? God is the explanation, my friends, of every single molecule. When you look at your body, when you look at all of creation, it is crying out, as the psalmist says, the heavens and the earth declare the glory of God. The heavens and the earth declare the glory of God. So by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world. But by Jesus Christ, we're told many are made righteous, that is right with God. Now how, and this is the age-old question, this is a question Job asked, how can a man be justified, or how can a man be right with God, a man that has sinned? It is by this man, just as Adam's sin has affected all, Christ, his life, we're told by this man, many, not all, but many are made righteous. My friends, this is the gift of God to his people. And his people are amongst the vast multitude of the people of this world. And they will all come and they will all believe this message of the Bible. This message that Jesus Christ makes many righteous.
How does he do that? Well, the Bible is so wonderfully clear on this matter. We're told in Isaiah chapter 11, when he would come into the world, and he has come into the world, that he would magnify the law of God, that is, he would give its right appropriation in his life, and that as he would come into this world, he would make that law honourable. The Jews taught so many false things about the law. In fact, they added things to the law, and they completely covered over those essentialities of the law. They missed the big picture of the law. The big picture of the law is this. It has two sides, it has two aspects. The first covers the first four commandments, and that is to love the Lord God with all one's heart, soul, mind, and strength. When we think of the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments, they elucidate, they teach the very things concerning how we ought to honor God, to have no other gods but the one true living God. It's astounding what the human race has done. It has reduced the almighty God of heaven and earth to idols, uh, to superstition. Man can make a so-called God with his hands, a, a, a Buddha or something like that. People even worship an elephant or a snake. It's bizarre. These creatures cannot make all things. These are creatures that God has made. A man will even take a stick or a stone and he'll worship that object and say, this is God. Well, that surely must be an insult to God who has made all things. That is an object that you can make with your hands. It's an object that you can break as well. And God forbids this. And yet we have a plethora. There are thousands of religions in this world that have reduced God, the eternal God who has made the heavens and the earth, to worship those things. People even worship so-called Mother Nature. Nature, Jesus Christ had control over that. We read in a number of instances where he could control the sea. He spoke and the sea was still. He could raise the dead. He could do all these things. He is very God. Yet people worship the objects of this world and trees even. And uh, this is madness. It's not only madness, but it's a great insult, my friends, to Almighty God who sustains your life and my life every day by keeping the created order in its place Almighty God has made all of these things. We ought to bow down and worship Him and Him alone. And so that commandment to have no other gods, to not worship a graven image. Well, sadly, the Roman Catholics do this. They'll worship a cross or an angel. But God forbids this in His Word. And there may be some Roman Catholics out here today I see a vast number of people passing by, and I don't mean to insult you. What I am saying is this, that is idolatry. To bow down and to worship a cross or an image or an angel 
what can those things do? God forbids this. In fact, as we move on in the Bible, we see God's judgment on a number of occasions when men do such things. And then to take God's name in vain is something that we see people so frequently doing, especially in this world of increasing wickedness and hostility to Almighty God. People take God's name in vain. You know what I mean. They use God's name as a, a terrible swear word. And that, years ago, my friends, would almost be an unheard of thing. And yet so increasingly it is in society. And we're reminded that such things, my friends, will be true just before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In an increasing measure, it will be true. We're told that iniquity, it's another word for sin, shall abound, multiply exponentially in this world. Sin will. I mean, you can even listen to the, 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 the songs that are played and young people listen to today. And some of the language that is used, it's profoundly terrible. And we wouldn't even want our children to hear it. Even what is on Radio 4 today in the afternoon. Some of the things that we hear. We can't even let our children watch what's on the television. There's another reason why many years ago I had to cancel my television license because of the profanities that are being expressed on even the BBC. I call it the British Blaspheming Corporation because that's really what is in effect with no shame. There is an abuse of God's name and there is all kinds of sexual immorality uh, being put into people's homes. And uh, today it seems without any shame. Again, this is the wickedness and this is the result of, I suppose, one casting themselves off from the living God. We see society increasing in its terrible lewdness today. And then the profaning of the Lord's Day. And no longer really in our society here in England is a keeping of one day a week that God has given. You know, men have tried for millennia since Christ, even since the creation. A few thousand years have tried to do away with one day in seven. The Russians try to do it and it almost brought down their entire society. God has given that one day in seven, not to go and sit by the lakeside, but to seek the Lord. And this is the highest privilege a man can have. It is to know his God and to seek that way that he has made open and clear in his word whereby sinners may be reconciled to him, that is, through his Son. We read in the Bible, there is no other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. 
The one day in seven, sadly, so many of the shops here are open. But you know, friends, while the shops here are open and they tend to your clothing and things, what about your soul? So often we neglect the soul. Your body is temporal. You have a body, it's only going to last maybe 70, 80, maybe 100 years, if God spares you. But you know, the Bible says, you and I, we have a never-dying soul. And the proof of it is you have a conscience, knowing right from wrong. And we bear that record in our hearts every day. And every day we live, we look in the mirror, we see we're getting older. And it's reminding us that this body is just like a tent. That's how the Bible pictures the body. And a tent doesn't last long. You've got to patch it up and you've got to look after it. But eventually, it's going to be of no use. And we're reminded that this earthly tabernacle, this tent of a body, will pass. But friends, within the body is a soul. And we will have to give an account to the Lord. So that one day in seven, the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. How have you spent your life? Maybe you went to church as a child. I see a number of elderly people out here. You went to church as a child. And uh, maybe you were taught by some Sunday school teacher who loved the Lord, a Christian, and their hearts were burdened for your soul. What did you take from that? Have you read the Bible all these years of your life? Again, I'm so staggered by the amount of people that will criticize the Bible and yet they haven't hardly read a page or try to understand it, let alone a chapter or the whole Bible. You know, there are so many I've met Christians, even like myself, who read the Bible once and yet had no time for it. Briefly, you've read it maybe, and like me, so many years ago, never given it a second thought. But friends, the Bible is like a mirror. It exposes ourselves for what we are. And uh, to neglect that mirror, friends, is a tragic thing. To neglect how God sees us, and then to imagine ourselves as somehow better you know, we like to make ourselves feel better by some good deeds that we do. And then all the bad things we do, we, we tend to sweep under the carpet and forget about it. But you know, the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. And that's just, I've given the first four commandments. You can go through the lot. The rest has to do with mankind. Somebody might even say, well, I'm quite a good person. I give to charity, I do this, I do that. And uh, you ask people why they do these things. Very often, the answer, of course, is because it makes me feel better. But that's the wrong motive altogether for doing wrong things, for doing right things. The right motive is always, as the Scripture asserts, God has made man to glorify him. It should be because you are thankful for your creator for giving you a life for giving you things and it's one way of expressing one's likeness to god 
but we like to make gods out of ourselves. We say, well, this makes me feel good. And if ever you're challenged at some point of your life that you've done wrong, this is so true of mankind, he becomes offensive. And we say things like, how dare you question me? Well, friends, we've all sinned, each and every one of us. And the Bible says there are none righteous. No, not one. You see, when God looks at man, unless man, as he is or was in his original state, it's defilement. When God made Adam and Eve, there was no sin. But sin was, as it were, entertained and tolerated. There in the garden, man was warned. And we too are warned in the Word of God that the wages of sin is death. Not just a physical death, my friends, but a separation from God in all eternity. But God sent His Son into this world. This is the good news that I must close with. By one man, Paul tells us here, sin entered into the world. But, we read, However, for if by one man's offence death reigned by one, they, how much more, they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. God's gift to his people, first of all, is that they will receive a new heart to receive this word. They will be confronted with their sin. And God comes and He deals with the sinner. He convicts us of our sin. And He shows us our need of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only Saviour, my friends. When God mercifully saves a soul, is He brings a man face to face with what he is before a holy God. And then He shows him Himself. First of all, God shows a man himself, and then God shows him, that sinner, that he is a gracious God, and he gives his Son as a gift to all who believe upon him. The gift of God is eternal life, my friends, in Jesus Christ. God has sent his Son into this world to save his sheep. And it is my prayer that he will save many here in Hemelhemstead. God is a merciful God, my friends. He doesn't say, come to me with all your good works, with all your deeds, for even, Isaiah says, our righteousnesses are as filthy rights. We could never please a perfect God. But his Son has pleased him. And his Son died for the sins of his people so that whoever believes upon him, his people, come to him and trust in his life and in his death. There upon the cross at Calvary, two criminals dying, one man suddenly changed and said to the Lord Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus said, Today you will be with me 
in paradise. Friends, it's a wonderful thing to have one's sins forgiven and to know the gift of God that is in Jesus Christ. It is my prayer that you will take a tract. We'll be out here for the next few moments. We're a local Bible-believing church and uh, we just preach the Bible simply and plainly and we sing good, faithful hymns and psalms of the church and you'll receive the truth if you come along and I'll be very glad to tell you more of the way of salvation. I see people listening and perhaps wanting to take a tract. I'll be around in a moment. And if you'd like to know more, I'll be very glad to share with you the way of salvation. Well, thank you for listening. We do encourage you to come along. Our church services are every Sunday. We call it the Lord's Day because it's the day when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, triumphed over sin and over the grave, and now he's in heaven and he's going to come again. And we're longing for that day. So the Lord's Day, when we come around the Word of God, we meet on the corner of Lower Road and Red Lion Lane in Nash Mills. And I can assure you, receive a very warm welcome. I'm the pastor of the church here in Hemel Hempstead. We're called Bethel Reformed Baptist Church. And we'd be glad to see you. The services are this Lord's Day, 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. Please do come along and hear the Word of God. Do take a tract, and I've also got some Gospels of John, if you'd like one. I'll be glad to give you one free as well. Thank you for listening, and do have a good day today.